awesome. That's got big signs on it. It does. <laughs> but for this program, it's nameless. It's nameless. Okay. Um, we will be uh, having a cannabis forum. Cannabis? Did I say I said candidates? Oh, candidates. I thought you said cannabis for him. Okay. I was just checking. You know, I saw a flag that fits you. <laughs> Since you're perpetually late, this flag says. Who's late? This flag says it's 4:20 somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll be having candidates in for District Two. Two, okay. In the supervisor race, we have um, Susan Pierce. Mm-hmm. And we also have. This is yours, Dale Ball. Oh, Dale Ball. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. I, I was and, waiting. I'm sorry. And Leonard Modi uh, <laughs> declined to come. But, what? Uh, yeah, he did. Anyway, he he's can't... the only candidate that did. Oh. Unlike our friend Patrick Jones, who came. Yeah. <laughs> who's sitting across from us. Hi, Patrick. Yeah, hi. Good morning, guys. How did he get in here? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that starts at 6 o'clock at 2570 South Bonneview Road. Uh, and then also I want to announce that we are having a Fight for Liberty Town Hall. This will be Saturday, February 15th. Doors open at 3. It starts at 4. It'll be at the Anderson Veterans Hall at 3210 West Center Street. We'll be talking about the Second Amendment. We'll be talking about the state of Jefferson and the court case for all the people of California to increase representation, citizens for fair representation. The speakers will be Mark Baird, Patrick Jones, and Dr. Paul DeNuca. And that will be the 15th of February. You need to be there. Second Amendment's a big deal right now. <laughs> it's always a big it's deal. It's always a big deal. But yep. the point is they're trying to take it from us. And uh, Dr. Danuka's story is very compelling about what happened in India. And Patrick, of course, uh, really can bring home a lot of truths about what the Second Amendment really needs in the Constitution and also about the new gun laws. And talking about that, sir... Patrick, uh, you're running for assembly. No, well, I, I did run for the assembly running, in the summer. Me, you're running for <laughs> <laughs> oh God, here I go again. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> no, I did uh, this last summer. I did run for assembly, and me and my wife uh, covered seven thousand miles, just like Doctor Danuka is doing right now, yep. getting out. And uh, we had a wonderful time, met a lot of great people, and it was clear that every county that you went to, all nine counties, that lack of representation was was strong in every county, and I know Dr. Danuk is out there running all those counties as well and seeing the same thing that I saw, and they're hungry for real leadership, and unfortunately the system that we have, um, money prevails, and this PAC money out of Sacramento um, ultimately becomes king, and people can't get the representation that they deserve, and that's just the system we have until we can fix it, but I had a great time, and so uh, right after that, we did well in Shasta County, in fact, I won in Shasta County and was mm-hmm. the top vote getter, and that then helps me run for supervisor district four. And I think that's going to be uh, uh, that's that, it's going to be such a help to have people on the board of supervisors that actually understand the constitution, understand the issues that we have. And talking about that, I know that uh, for you, you have some certain things, about three or four different things that you really believe we need to do in our county, and maybe you could expand on those. Well, first and foremost, you know, crime is the number one issue in Shasta County, and, you know, growing up here, like a lot of us have, um, we have seen a noticeable deterioration in the quality of our life over the last 20 years, and it's not the same county. Most of these cities within this county are not the same city that they were before because we have not dealt with crime the way that we can and the way that we should. And we have, for the county of Shasta, we have a $450 million budget, and we can deal with this problem. And we can do it without raising your taxes. 
You know, I think a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that the budget's that high. But $450 million, that's amazing. That's about, boy, for a family of four, that's about $10,000 a year. It's a lot of money. And just with the AB 109 money that Shasta County gets, we can fix this problem. But it's how you spend it. And we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to, uh, you know, problems that we've seen within the state of California as well, constantly wanting to tax you more. And I'm staunchly against this new ballot measure um, that's going to measure a measure a that is going to tax you uh, your sales tax one percent, one full percent with no sunset clause. So it goes on forever. Um, it'll go mostly to the Shasta County Sheriff's Department, but also City of Reading and others, and it goes on forever. And uh, clearly, it's it's way more amount of money that's necessary to build a new jail. It's far more money than that. And so where is that money going to go? Well, what is the biggest single problem within Shasta County and their budget? It's unfunded pensions. And so this is an end around to solving a problem that we warned them against over 20 years ago to not do, um, and they're going to tax the public. The problem with taxing the public excessively, which is what they're doing now, is that it pushes people out of our county and out of our state, and we're seeing, we're already seeing that. We're seeing the highest numbers ever, and these are quality people that are leaving, and they're not coming back. You know, um, a lot of people are saying, uh, especially some pundits on the radio, that because of the two-thirds vote, the money has to go to exactly what the measure says. But does that mean that the money, if they have something in this measure where money is already being spent on a given uh, area, that that money that's old money could be used for something else? Can you explain that to the folks? Because I think that's probably the most telling uh, situation in this whole measure. Well, it really comes down to trust and trusting these current board of supervisors. And you have to trust future boards. Uh, members that you don't even know who they are yet, and you simply can't do that. So what happens with the dedicated tax is that money will and does have to go to what it's described to do within the law. However, the money underneath does not, and that's what, what they do. What do you mean by that? Well, the money that's currently there for the Sheriff's Department yeah, today, okay. which is sizable. So that money is not bound by the same terms, and so they start shifting money around. The City of Reading has done it as well. I served on, on the City Council for eight years, and they were very good at it, and I helped defeat several um, ballot initiatives and sales tax increases there for the same exact reason. No trust, and they keep proving it that you cannot trust them by misusing funds that are supposed to be used for a certain thing. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about that, take a look at the last grand jury report Mm -hmm. concerning the AB 109 funds and watch how the county misused those funds. And that's exactly what they're going to do. But this time, it's a lot bigger amount, a lot bigger amount, and it goes on forever. And uh, did at any time, did at any time before they proposed this sales tax increase, did they take a look at their own budget and do a review to see if there was any money savings techniques there? Not at all. Never. And that's exactly what the city of Reading did several times. They never look at their own budget as if it is perfect. Well, they're far from perfect. And there's enough money within the budget to solve these problems. Has the, has the uh, county done anything about that, though, as far as looking at what they have to truly see if, the, if it's, if it's going to warrant what they need? Well, they never look within, and and that's a serious problem. Now, from you and me, we have a limited amount of income, mm-hmm. and if we need to roof the house, um, then we start saving. We start maybe not take a vacation, maybe not do this or that, mm-hmm. and we put money to fix the problem, and uh, or 
we go grow our wealth by working more. Right. And that's really another issue that I have for the county um, is that if you want more money, if you really think you need more money, don't tax the public more. Grow your economy. And that is the best solution. And we need that. Our economy has been stagnant. Other economies, you know, you don't have to look too far like the Reno economy and look how vibrant that is and how fast it's growing. And yet here we are losing population and losing value because we're not we're overregulating and overtaxing the public. And so, when you do that, they leave. And I also believe by overregulating and overtaxing that it is another con- major contributing issue to the homeless problem that we have. Absolutely. You know, when when you talk about when you look at the measure, there's a lot of mention of existing um, circumstances, like existing bets, money from this new measure which is new money going to existing situations we have. What happens to the money that's funding that existing situation? I think that's what you were saying. That's the old money. Basically, they can take that money legally, even though they're using the new money for what they said they were. They can take that old money and use that for something else because that money isn't needed anymore because we have new money. Is that about the right assessment? That is, and I'll I'll give you an example of what happened uh, on one scenario in the city of Reading where – um, it was a global recession. We were losing funds, and uh, we were having very difficult time negotiating with our labor groups, all ten of them, um, to be able to conserve some money and keep everybody working. That was my goal. And so um, because we couldn't get anywhere with our labor groups, um, we asked the public for help in a ballot initiative that our employees would pay 7 and 9%, 9% for public safety and for the rest 7% towards their pension. Now, we had been paying 100% for their retirement for over 30 years. Wow. <laughs> and so we asked them to pay 7 9%. We put that to the vote of the people, and the public supported that on a 73%. And wow. so, so that was a good thing, and we started, you know, help fill that gap that was necessary. Um, and we were clearly losing money each quarter, quarter after quarter, double-digit drops. So what does council do shortly thereafter? In several bargaining groups, they give a 12% raise. And so they just countered exactly right. what the public and the voters just said to do. And so by giving, the, the employees gave 7 to 9%. And then the council gives back 12% and putting us further behind than what we were. And that's, that is the type of, of um, bad policies that you see out of government. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the county. Okay. Well, we've got to go off to our break now. So um, we'll come back and we'll have more questions and answers from Patrick. Time has come. For 51. Let's get her done. One, two, three. <laughs> Up in the hills of Northern California, we believe America is the home of the brave. What we got is earned by working it and handed out so free. We stand for the flag and pledge our allegiance for the last of a dying breed. Last of a dying breed. <laughs> video these guys are good this video is good it is it is good okay. it's very good You're right, it is. isn't it Sue? why yes it is it is we all agree it's good it sounds really good it's it's not hank but <laughs> <laughs> we're here with patrick jones who's running for supervisor in 
District 4 in Shasta County. And the things we've been talking about, a lot of people may be listening to this from other counties. In fact, we know you're out there. In fact, even from New Hampshire. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is pertinent to what he's talking about is, is sort of a running theme through all the counties, basically the distrust of government. And also, uh, I, Wynn has a couple of questions for Pat. And uh, I think this, there's a couple of things here that really need to be brought up about how, uh, when you were with the City of Reading uh, City Council, how uh, you, you, you fought to do the right thing for the unions. When you had a question? There. Yeah, you were you were sitting mayor at the time, right? Yes. Okay. So as sitting mayor, your 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 goal is to make sure everything is being run properly and um, to the benefit of the citizens of of the city of Reading. So, if you were talking to the unions and so forth, how did that work? I mean, if if they just flat out rejected it, was there any other discussion? Well, you know, when you go back and you have to go back, you know, 10 years now, and we had a global recession, it was serious. It was a serious recession, um, the likes that we hadn't seen in this county for a long time and in the city. Uh, the city was dropping in the general fund double-digit drops quarter after quarter after quarter for two straight years, a $20 million loss. Uh, many business owners in the city of Reading lost everything that they've ever uh, mm-hmm. built up, yep. and um, it was a a – economy that uh, clearly was going to be on the decline based on events that happened prior. And uh, the city felt it strongly. So the first thing that we tried to do is cut out all the fat, which there's plenty in any government. And so, um, and that's again, you know, before you go do a sales tax increase, you cut out the fat and they haven't done that. They won't even look at that. So the city cut out the easy things. And that means, um, you know, monies to to museums and things like this get cut out and some of your art and cultural things get cut out because you really need to focus in on the most essential things. So we did those things and we tried to preserve uh, and protect the employees the best we could. But eventually, as money's continued to drop, it got to, you know, to to labor issues as well. And we did have to lay off um, hundreds of workers within the city of Reading. For the police department, no one got fired, but we lost probably... A third of our force through attrition, meaning when they retired, they just we just couldn't replace that position. We did lose uh, firefighters uh, through attrition, and we did have to close a fire station. This is the the gravity of a global recession, and uh, and that's why I we had asked um, for employees to pay a portion uh, of their retirement. That we had been doing that for 30 years, but no longer could do that, and um, they had said that. Uh, they they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do other things, and we really needed to address um, the pension problem, mm-hmm. and, and we needed to get the employees to pay towards that. And really, when it was all said and done, everybody agreed that was the right approach. And so I knew it was the right approach, so we were going to stay on that approach. But there was a time before I really don't like the ballot initiatives. I thought we could bargain with our union, you know, our, our employees and get to where we needed to go. They could see the budget. They could see those numbers. And uh, we just weren't getting anywhere with them. And so uh, we asked for 7% for non-public safety and 9% for public safety. And uh, they didn't like that, of course, and they said no. So I came back later and asked everybody, let's just do a straight 4%. And they flatly rejected that very quickly. Wow. And the public is unaware of that. So it's not... You know, when you hear, you know, 
sometimes when we talk about those days, you'll hear about Mayor Jones at the time being being very hard and his way or the highway. Well, we did everything that I that I could to try to to mm-hmm. get through this, mm-hmm. and and we did make other offers. I did make other offers. They rejected every offer, and so then we had to go to to the people, and they spoke loudly on it. And you know, and I'm I believe I'm a fair person. I believe I'm firm. When there's something that needs to be done, we're going to stay on it and get it done. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, on boards and councils, you have to count to three. And sometimes you have other people that see exactly the way you do, and you can get some things done. And then sometimes other people um, slip away and go to the dark side. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, then it's difficult. Then it's very difficult. And then at that point, um, what I usually use is a technique of getting community members and groups to try to put pressure on other board or council members to try to get something done. And that's really the job uh, that I have before me with the county is that if you can't count to three, uh, put some pressure on some people any way you can to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Three meaning that quorum of three of five. Correct. Which brings us back to measure A where the <laughs> quorum is four out of five to either lessen the tax or dissolve the tax altogether, which kind of bothers me a little bit. Four. Well, uh, he's talking about the current candidates that are running for Supervisor mm-hmm. District 4. And uh, and for me, you know, with other candidates, uh, you know, we have a good group of candidates, and, and I've really enjoyed this race so far. Um, I have very strong support right now, and we're doing very well. Um, it'd be nice to pay for a poll and, and to see how you're doing, but um, we're getting a strong message out about about reducing regulations and reducing fees, and that's a thing that we can do, and we can do it right now. Mm-hmm. And by doing so... It shows that the door is open at Shasta County, and people will start to build. Right now, people don't want to build here in this county. Well, and they can't right. afford to. Right. You With got, the restrictions? The, the costs and just the the amount of regulation and what you have to do will drive you crazy, and you'll, give up, you'll give up before you do it. And you wonder why there's so many unpermitted structures. Well, that's right. why. That's right. So this, the county could make far more money by reducing those fees, reducing those regulations. They'd have more money into their coffers yep. than what they currently have today, and then people would take pride in their county. I want to uh, make a clarification. What I meant was in Measure A, uh, one of the last uh, um, parts of Measure A, it states that there can be no change in the one-cent sales tax unless there is a four out of five quorum, not a three out of five quorum. Right, I see. And that's one, of the la- that's one of the last things in there. And to me, it gave me pause. I did ask uh, Supervisor Morgan about that, and he said, well, I really wanted it to be five out of five. And I said, well, <laughs> four out of five leaves one person out there as the Lone Ranger saying, wait a second, we need to lessen the tax. We have enough money now. But if you need four out of five rather than three out of five, then... You've got to count to four now according to this measure. There's just so many things wrong with it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, crime is an issue. There's absolutely no doubt. Um, but the budget today has enough funds in it to deal with this problem. And uh, certainly with the money that we get from AB 109 now, um, it's just simply not used to 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 the percent that it could be. And, um, and I'm not 100% certain yet, uh, and as I do more research in it, that we need a bigger jail. Not 100% certain of that. Um, time may prove me wrong or, or may show that there may be a need for a new jail. Um, but I'd also like to take a look at the opportunities of sending uh, convicted criminals out of state. And I know there are other bed spaces available um, that are not only available but at almost half the cost that it costs to incarcerate an inmate today here in Shasta County. And so what that could do by shipping them out, you, you have quite a few positives. 
is that first you could reduce your overcrowding. You could incarcerate twice as many as what you're doing today. And the fact of the matter is that when those people get released, you have a high likelihood that they won't come back to this county. And it's a tougher approach to crime than I think that we're seeing today. And I'd like to explore that avenue first before we go build a new $50 million jail. Well, that would tag along with an, an audit. So you can do departmental audits throughout the county, or you can do a complete, you know, thorough forensic audit. I mean, are you on board with doing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, as you know, that both the cities and the counties do audits each year, but they're the type of audits that are not real. Right. And uh, and they don't really scrutinize what any uh, of these uh, governing bodies do. There's just the touchy-feely audits because then then the auditor can just always come back and be the perpetual auditor. Well, if if he is critical, uh, he is not going to get that job again. That's right. So he is just uh, milk toast at best. Right. And I've seen those time and time again. And uh, so we spend your hard-earned money on these these uh, so-called audits that really do nothing. We do need a serious audit. Correct. Um, and then let that open to the public for right. scrutiny. Right. We should be proud of how we spend your money. Absolutely. We should show you every penny and take pride in how we do it. But that's not, that's not the case. In fact, there's more cover-up uh, than openness. Okay. I know that in the AB 109 money, when you were talking about that, at the end of the year, they had a million four, almost a million five left over in probation. And the jail and the sheriff's department had $597. So you wonder, so now probation starts with a, with a budget they, that they're growing. They start with a million five. Why couldn't they take that money and shift it over to the jail or shift it? So I think, I think there's so many arguments about where you can take this money and, and maneuver it to. And when I've asked people about the AB 109 money, uh, we've had a situation with the AB 109 money to where uh, people are saying, you know, um, that money is uh, delegated to something else. But isn't it true that there's 13 departments that get a vote on where this money goes? Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, you really got to break it down and and really see where the the need is the most and where lack of funds are and start moving things around. And the, the fact of the matter is nobody likes doing that with the current government that we have within the county. They're so used to doing things exactly the way they're doing it, whether it works or not. Um, and so they don't really want to take a look and scrutinize something. And, and I dealt with that at the city of Reading as well. When you start doing something, the same thing for a long time, you just continue to go down that path, even though, um, you know, it's not working. Right. And uh, Stillwater was a great example of that, where we knew for a long time, and I voted no 18 times on that. Wow. Um, and they were just so stuck on doing it and ended up wasting $60 million of your hard wow. money. And it's still sitting out there lingering. And still, wow. still, it hasn't created That'd one. give us a new jail. <laughs> <laughs> not one new job. And they knew it right from the early start that this thing was going to be a failure, but because they started, they were going to continue on. And, uh, and those that's a, a big example of, of waste, um, and there's lots of little examples like that where we have to make government much more efficient. Keep in mind that if the city of Reading and or the county was looked at as a business, mm-hmm. with the debt that they have and the way that they're run, uh, no one would invest in them, and they would, in, in essence, be bankrupt. Bankrupt right now. Okay, speaking of... Um, crazy things happening. We have a caller on the line. Good morning, Nick. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Patrick, um, uh, our new Sheriff Eric says it's against the law to ship count, uh, prisoners out of state to house them. So I know you're going to refute that, but what I'm curious about is you mentioned at uh, the Patriots meetings 
that one state, and it seems like it was Arkansas or Alabama or something, is housing prisoners for 52 bucks a day, and you didn't see why we couldn't do that. What I'm curious about is, have you contacted them and asked them if they would take some of our prisoners, maybe make a deal to take 50 or 100? No, I have not. I have contacted them. I didn't ask them if they would take our prisoners because I'm not in that position yet. But um, they do have openings, and the, the cost was definitely in the $50 range, which is considerably less than what ours is. Wow. And I checked with other states, too. So I checked with that was Mississippi. Um, I checked with other states, and there are several other states that have openings but were as high as we were. So hmm. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't accomplish. It would help reduce the overcrowding, but not at a lesser amount. So I was most interested in a few of the states and, the, and, and their programs that could re- do two things, reduce our overcrowding and um, save us money. And they're out there, and the law has passed. In fact, Sheriff Bazinko, I talked to Sheriff Bazinko about this, and he, he admitted that we do have a few out. So it is legal, and we do have a few. Hmm. My thinking is that every person that has been tried and convicted and is sitting in the Shasta County Jail needs to be removed now. I'm with you on that. I just, I feel like uh, it's not real clear and and how many they would take. Anyway, thanks. Thank you, Nick. uh, Have a great day. Thank you. Now, there's a big reason why. If this makes so much sense, why isn't it being done? (laughs) Why isn't it being done? And there is an issue, issue, um, and I think if you look towards the Peace Officer Union, you will find that they are not uh, liking the idea of sending their inmates out of state, and they then put pressure on the sheriff that this is not going to occur. If you're going to do it, you can do it in little amounts, nothing more, and we're going to have to fix that. Wow. So you almost need organ music to that. So are they wanting are they taking possession of these inmates? Is that is that the mindset behind it? Well, you'd have to ask the union that, but I think there's a strong uh union issue here with with sending inmates out. It's not a legal issue. Um it's an issue that is a, uh, of a concern to them in that um that there those are positions and opportunities here. For example, mm. Um, if we sent none out and we built a new jail, there'd be a lot more people within that correctional union. Right. And those are jobs for that correctional union, and they're going to protect those jobs. It's the same reason why you see a lack of volunteers and things yeah, like but this. But at some point you reach a threshold where you can't, and we are beyond that, where you can't afford to do that. Well, keep in mind that <clears throat> labor negotiations, you know, they're, uh, they're pretty tough. You know, you're, you're, uh, these groups have been at it for a long time. Well, and the citizens need to be tougher. Board members and council members, uh, particularly new, know nothing. Right? Yeah. They they're going up against very seasoned professional negotiators mm-hmm. um, against rookies, and that's the that's the the system that we have. And it's wondering, and and it really kind of paints a picture as to how we've gotten um, so so off mm-hmm. is because um, it takes you years to be a good negotiator. Uh, I was known as being very tough. Uh, now they they didn't use that word. They used other <laughs> other <laughs> adjectives. Yeah. We get bleeped on. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a great example of uh, a typical labor negotiation. Um, we'll be in closed session, and a union will come forward with 30 new ones, and we have to go over each and every wow. one of them and try to see if it's reasonable or not. And there are usually monies attached to them, usually, but not always. 
And if the, and what they really want is really only two or three of those things. But they start off with a very high number. Mm-hmm. Now, the city comes forward with 10 ones. And so I suggested, well, why don't we come forward with 30 ones? If they've got 30 ones, I should have 30 ones. And then at the end of the day, maybe it can be zero um, or uh, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so we'll whittle it down so it'll take months and months and months and often years on some of these negotiations. And they're nonstop. Every closed session, you're going to be dealing with labor groups within the county every time. And at the end, we end up settling just to get it done because it's gone on so long. And they end up getting more than actually what they really wanted because mm. we're weak and they are strong. Well, and that's how it works. It always boils down to, you know, to a couple things. Um, is it right? And can we afford it? Sure. So if it's neither one of those or if either neither one of those qualify for that particular issue, then it doesn't happen. I mean, that's the way it is in our house. I we mean, had a, a labor right? negotiation. Can we it? I mean, I would operate the county and any other government agency the same way. I mean, we had some really tough ones uh, during the global recession. And keep in mind, when you work with one group, if you give one group pay advances, um, then the others are going to come forward and say, hey, you, yeah, know, exactly. um, you know, you gave increases here. And for all rights, they'd probably be right. You'd have to give pay increases there. And uh, some of them got pretty heated. And, uh, you know, and I stood in the saddle and uh, stood tall and did not waver uh, and did not back down. And And I think that's ultimately what... Uh, we need, mm-hmm. um, and labor groups uh, dislike me because of that, but I'm not going to back down um, because we work for the people, and we right. work for, in the county, 180,000 people. That's who we work for. Um, we want to be fair to our employees, but at the same time, um, we do have people that we have to you know, think about, and you know, with the median income of Shasta County of under 30,000, um, that is a strong point to be made, right. that the public cannot just continue um, to be overtaxed and overregulated, um, and we've really got to control the size of government. And I'm, I'm a firm belief that we can shrink the size of government and be more efficient. Well, and that's, that's the thing, too. People are going to vacate the county. They're going to go – maybe they'll go to a different neighboring county or full-on just move out of state. Sure. And that's why we're experiencing all the – problems we are because people are leaving we don't have the tax base we're not we're that's going to leave with them well isn't it very interesting that uh, your your recent past ceo of shasta county is no <laughs> longer a california resident salt lake larry and uh, yeah. also your recent past city manager of city of reading yeah. kurt starman idaho. Um, is in idaho yeah um so how telling is it when these guys continue to push uh, for these agendas and then move out of state. Move out of state because they got their, they got their bucket of gold, and right. so they're off and running, and they're doing their thing. And you know, shame on us for allowing that to happen. You know, and that's really telling that right. they didn't stay with this community that they helped craft, right? And that they left us, right? And uh, I'm not planning on going anywhere. Well, and that's the thing too. You know, if if, if you're a native of the area, um, why aren't why aren't you stepping up and helping out in the government entities? Because then. You have more skin in the game than somebody coming in being a transplant who's going to come in. You don't know how long they're going to be here. You know, they come in for a couple of years, get their retirement or whatever the big package, and then they move on. Uh, I would like our, a, I would like a big package. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't hit the button. So you're okay. <laughs> You know, this uh, this job really, um, you know, there, I know there's a lot of candidates running in Supervisor District 4. There's five of us all together, um, which kind of shows that you have a weak incumbent, to be honest. Um, that's why you see so many people running. Um, and uh, 
but but um, and all these candidates mean mean well. Right. But the experience here is is really telling, and I think um, well, hands our down, last hands down, you've got it over everybody else. Well, and I think the last form really showed that you know for some of these folks, um, they are not ready for this position. This is not an easy job. Right. Uh, you don't go into this thinking if, you know that you're going to be cutting ribbons and going to go to dinners, and because really, if that's what you're doing, you're not really you know going to be representing the people in your district or your county. This is a tough job. Um, you need to be prepared for it. Roll up your um, sleeves and do the work. And I think most of the people in this race are not ready uh, for the job ahead. Well, I think yeah. that you know even in when we were putting together the candidates forum that we had uh, with with the candidates coming in for District Four, um, we sent out. A flyer to all of them, and we sent out an email to all of them, letting them know that we have a group of informed voters. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Morgan, who's our current supervisor, was very concerned. He called me and said, "What do you mean by con- informed voters?" And I said, "Well, they they kind of know what's going on, you know." But uh, when we talked about Measure A, and I talked to Mr. Morgan about Measure A, uh, he had said that uh, they really didn't know how much money they were going to bring in anyway. It could be as low as $15 million. It could be as high as $30 million, But they really didn't know. And in essence, it, the whole thing is kind of a crapshoot. But the one last thing, and I want to get your opinion on this, because we have about three minutes left before we have to go to a break. But I want to get your opinion on this. And that is that um, he had made mention, and they, they've all made mention, of this um, Citizens Oversight Committee. Now, in reading Measure A, the Citizens Oversight Committee has no jurisdiction and no power whatsoever. In fact, it's even written in Measure A that the Board of Supervisors does not have to take the advice of these people. So it's toothless. It's toothless. So I, I want to get your thought process on that. Well, you know, again, um, I went to 12 years of council meetings. I never missed a single meeting. I had perfect attendance, and, of course, I served for eight years. And to be honest, I hate committees. Um, I've seen committee after committee after committee, and committees are only as good as the people that you put on them. And, you know, when board members elect, they're always a, uh, select a certain board member with a political view or point or, um, you know, they, there is, there is a lot of that that goes on. And these committees, I've, I've seen that. And, and the job that is done is a reflection of these committees. And many times I've seen, again, these people are not prepared for most of these jobs. And they're led around by uh, department head leaders and these people and kind of force-fed certain ideas and things. And so really what you what you get is not um, a great product. Um, and when you elect a board member, he needs to be doing this job. That's what he's there for. He's got He is elected, and if you do not like those decisions, you unelect him. Um, we've seen that in the last go-around at the county. The last two incumbents no longer are there. They didn't. People voted them out, and, and they don't need these committees of unelected bureaucrat-type people. Um, that's our job. That's what we're paid to do, so let's do it. Yeah, and you're, that's such a great point, Patrick, because if you're elected to do a job, why would you need somebody to oversee you doing your job? Correct. I mean, at the city of Reading, we overseen seen the, the Reading Electric Utility, which was a, a huge undertaking. You know, that is a lot of work. I mean, that is literally a full-time job to understand uh, the the importance of, of the utility and all the critical issues that go on there. Um, and uh, and quite a few of the council members in those years would just simply leave it up um, to the city manager uh, or to the uh, director uh, who had very little 
electric experience, unfortunately. Oh. And, uh, you know, and so you got to do a lot of work. These jobs are full-time jobs. You're going to be really, you know, learning everything you can as quick as you can. And for me, with eight years of experience already, um, you know, I, it puts me in a very good position. Well, right now we're going to go off to a break, and we're with Patrick Henry Jones, who's running for supervisor in District 4. Um, it's really, uh, I love listening to you, Patrick. Um, District like 4, you, Shasta County, just want clarity on that. For, <laughs> did I say that? Well, you did say District 4, but I just want to make sure everybody understands. District 4, Shasta, Shasta, County. Shasta County. Did I say District 4, Shasta County? You said District 4. I did. Okay, did I say Patrick Henry Jones? You said District 4. <laughs> I did. Did I do a lot? Okay. Susie Q. Have another. Have another. <laughs> Time has come. For 51. Let's get her done. adult has issued 32 troopers that with proper care and just a little discipline should serve you well during your entire tour of duty on this planet. They're called your teeth. But when your platoon gets out of line, holes in the formation, or other problems, you need to call in an expert like General, uh, Dr. William Farrell. With decades of experience keeping those troops in line and executing their assigned duties properly and dependently. If you'd rather not be there while he reestablishes order amongst the troops, Dr. Farrell offers sedation dentistry. He and his highly trained staff will whip your troops into shape without any discomfort. And having served himself in both the Navy and the Marine Corps, Dr. Farrell offers special consideration to veterans. Let him take the best care of your platoon of teeth, and they will serve you always. Call 547-5757 or visit palosidrodentistry.com. At ease. And for a limited time, Dr. Farrell is offering x-ray, exam, and cleaning for just $175. Call 547-5757 to schedule your visit. Celebrating 20 years in business, Five Star Bank is a community business bank serving small to medium-sized businesses and is a champion of local economic development and community stewardship. Five Star Bank was founded in 1999 by a group of local entrepreneurs who wanted to create personalized banking services inspired by shared vision and goals. Today, Five Star Bank is among the top 5% of performing banks in the nation for banks of its size. Five Star Bank proudly serves farmers, ranchers, and growers in the agricultural community, commercial real estate developers, and construction, those who lead nonprofits and churches, and entrepreneurs in emerging technology. Five Star Bank is also committed to small businesses through a robust SBA department. They understand that when it comes to business, timing is critical. Their sense of urgency and speed to serve are part of the foundation of their success. Visit fivestarbank.com and visit your local branch at 358 Hartnell in Reading. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. This is an encore presentation of Jefferson State of Mind.
This is an interesting song. Sue likes this song. Here we are, KCNR 96.5 FM, where the music sounds better. 1460 AM, your talk radio. We're here with Patrick Henry Jones. But it wasn't playing on 96.5 when I came in earlier. Oh. Yeah. Boy, you're a buzzkill. Yep. That's my job. Anyway, (laughs) Saturday, February 15th, mark your calendar. Saturday, February 15th, we are having the Fight for Liberty Town Hall. This will be at the Anderson's Veterans Hall. Doors open at 3. It starts at 4 o'clock. We're going to be talking about the state of Jefferson. Free admission. Free admission. Free admission. I was getting there. I'm reading the flyer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't bug me, man. All right. (laughs) We'll be talking about the state of Jefferson, the Citizens for Fair Representation court case, and the Second Amendment. Our speakers will be Mark Baird, Patrick Henry Jones, who's with us right now, and Dr. Paul Danuka who's running for assembly for District 1. Patrick, Second Amendment. Um, this is really in your wheelhouse. Uh, give people a quick background on on why it is and also where you're coming from on this whole thing, brother. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in a gun shop. And, uh, and when I mean I grew up in a gun shop, I mean that I grew up in a gun shop. And uh, so in 1972, my dad asked me, um, do you want to stay at home or do you want to go to work and work with me? And I said, well, yeah, I don't want to stay at home. Let's go to work. And so he put me to work. Now, when you're four years old, you're, you're not exactly a great worker, but um, but you can sweep and you can dust things and you can do those things. But I listened. Uh, I listened a lot. I listened to every word my father said uh, so that I could repeat those things at a young age. And so I was selling guns. Um, by the time I was 10, I was selling my first gun. And uh, so I've been with the shop my entire life, and uh, uh, and so the Second Amendment means a lot to me, and um, it should mean more to the average person because of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the scary part today in California is that we take for granted what the Founding Fathers meant about your right to keep and bear arms. That's because people don't understand that that was to protect you from the government, it's not about hunting. It's not about your your personal protection so much, but it's about keeping government in check. That when you are armed, uh, you have more than just words. You have a way to back that up, and it's a way to keep tyranny from happening. But if we give up on the Second Amendment, um, you will have a tyrannical government, which is what we're seeing in California today. Well, you know, in, uh, with Virginia, uh, the position they took, they sort of got these gun laws shoved on them all at once. Uh, California's been sort of slowly cooking us like a frog uh, with these Second Amendment issues, and, and we really haven't had sheriffs that have stood up for the Second Amendment like they should, at least in, in my belief, like they should. No, you're right. Uh, you know, not too many years ago, we had the the sheriffs contra uh, contra um, <laughs> contra uh, the. We had the meetings with the sheriffs, the um, uh, the conventions where uh, I think we had seven or eight sheriffs at each one. Uh, yeah. At each one, Siskiyou County it started, and uh, your constitutional sheriff meetings, and um, you know, and those were pretty telling. Um, your sheriff is your top law enforcement officer in the county, superseded by none, and he has a lot of authority and power. Uh, to protect his citizens, to protect his county residents. Um, and we need that now more than ever. And and that's why I'm so 
upset right now that we were not able to elect our sheriff. Um, you know, it was appointed, and um, it was pretty obvious that they did this, and it's nothing against the sheriff, but um, we get to, to vote on a sheriff, and we get to vet these issues, and we get to ask questions, and then we're going to hold you accountable. That's the process, and we we got an end around on this process, and um, and part of that is concerning the Second Amendment and, you know, the, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, and, and that is not what's happening in California. For the last 20 years or better, uh, we have seen an erosion in, in our rights tremendously to the point where we're under attack. This is a war, and we're losing. Mm-hmm. We're losing it right now, and we have to do more. If we continue to go at this rate, I think within 10 years, uh, we could be a gun-free you know, state, as they call it. When we did those, uh, those sheriff conventions, Shasta County didn't have one. Tehama did, but Shasta didn't. And uh, at the time, we asked our sheriff to have one, and he said that he'd show up at the, Sha- the Tehama County one. Um, but wasn't our, f- I, wasn't our former sheriff the uh, the top sheriff of all those? Wasn't he the president of that association? Well, I think that was later. I think that came later than, than uh, oh, okay. when we were doing those. But but you're right. He, Interesting. He, he eventually was. But I think the thing is is that Patrick makes a good point about a sheriff retiring early and then him basically picking his predecessor or his uh yep. yeah and so he goes ahead and he does that and what happens is is you create an incumbent it's like McGreeny now is an incumbent he will be for a couple of years and it's very hard to get rid of an incumbent not to say he's going to do a bad job i don't know the man don't know what kind of job he's going to do hoping for the best but point being is that we know that the incumbents are what like a 90% rate in being reelected well and not only that but like when you're talking about the the selection process that we just went through. How does that work? And if the department head of the law enforcement, the sheriff's department can do that, can the assessor do that? Can the planning department chair do that? Can, I mean, all these people that are heads of those departments, can they do the same thing? Well, would, appa- would the public stand for that? Apparently in uh, 2018, everything was changed to where the county could appoint um, a, uh, um, a successor to the, uh, to the uh, sheriff. It was done in 2018. Okay. And interesting enough, just about the time that was done, somebody bought property in another state. <laughs> now, saying. is that because of, um, of an emergency situation where they would need to do that? Uh, I I don't know what it was. I just know that's what happened. I just know that was the law because we we looked into it, and that was the that was the, that's what they all fell back on. That's what the board of supervisors fell back. Interesting. On. So for some people, they don't know if you haven't bought a firearm, say in the last five or ten years, you probably are unaware of what's been happening recently. And uh, so today, uh, if you have not bought a firearm or transferred a firearm in the last five years, you can't even buy ammunition in the state of California. If you're an out-of-state resident coming here to hunt, you cannot buy ammunition in the state of California. So you can't buy ammunition at all. And if you are able to buy ammunition, they're going to keep track of that. So they already know you have a good background, and now they're going to keep track of what you buy with future regulations to come. And why do you think that they need to keep track of what a law-abiding person uh, has as far as ammunition to further regulate you in the future and, and to limit you? Clearly, when somebody comes in and buys a case of ammunition, which is not out of the ordinary, it's fairly common for me, um, but the state says, you know, that that is excessive. And we fear in the future 
that if you do not have a particular caliber of gun registered in your name, that you're not going to be able that, to buy that type of ammunition, and we expect that to happen. It is wow. not the, it's not the case today, but we believe that will be there. In order to buy a semi-auto handgun, you are restricted to the tune of about 93%. So 93% of all semi-auto handguns cannot come into California. That's the laws today. So, again, if you don't think guns are being banned, they're already being banned and we're losing entire categories. Many semi-auto rifles uh, you cannot purchase. You can only purchase one handgun in a 30-day period. Well, if I have a good background, I should be able to buy whatever I want. But you can't because of these laws. Your background check just went up from $25 to $37.19. I'm not sure why the 19 cents, but obviously there's a reason. Now, what do they do with that money? And it is not there to provide the cost of doing a background check. That money gets sliced off, and that goes to enforcement for DOJ officers to come and knock on your door. Wow. And they're already doing that. And so if you don't think that you live in a, in a time where your gun rights are under attack, they are clearly under attack, and these keep coming. We also have a new law that people can um, make an accusation of you, and then you may have to turn your guns in within a 24-hour period. Wow. And then you have to get them drossed all back and pay your background fees if, if the, you know, it's determined to be unfounded. All kinds of laws, so many different laws happening that it pushes people out of California. Okay, well, it sounds like there's more to come on that. So that's a great thing that you're going to be at the event to be able to cover all that for us, and we yeah, appreciate that. a lot of stuff. All right, well, time has come for us to get ready to go. So, Patrick, any quick parting words? You've got about a half a minute. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, uh, being a supervisor is going to be a great opportunity for me uh, to expose certain things and uh, to improve our county and to get it back to the way that it should be. Okay. And uh, I'm happy uh, I'm happy about the direction of our campaign. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you guys very much for having me. Well, we're absolutely happy to have you come and do everything you've done for us in, in the county, in the city specifically, and then with what your family does as far as the, the gun shop and, and your beautiful wife putting up with you. We appreciate that. <laughs> she does. Because <laughs> we know that's a full You don't deserve her. None of us deserve our wives. <laughs> Anyway, we want to remind folks again, the Fight for Liberty Town Hall, Saturday, February the 15th at 4 p.m. Doors open at 3. It is free admission. Anderson's Veterans Hall, 3210 West Center Street. We're going to talk about the State of Jefferson, the Second Amendment, Citizens for Fair Representation, Mark Baird, Patrick Jones, Dr. Paul DeNuca. We need to stand up. We need to show up for this thing. We need to show up in numbers to where we fill up every seat in that room, and then we need to bring this fight to Sacramento, and we're going to talk about that. You've heard what Patrick had to say at the, in the final segment of this program, and it's been absolutely amazing stuff. If you want to hear more, and you'll be able to hear more, um, we're excited about this event. You need to be there. It's time to stand up, because time has really come. For 51. Let's get her done. <laughs> Amen. Bob the Drop. Welcome to my podcast. 
Do you like water? If you do, you're going to love me. I'm pure and simple. I'm talking refreshing. Yeah. Spent 500 years in a glacier. The boy was that cold. I never was and never will be tap water. Nope. Bottled at the source, the base of Mount Shasta. Yep, pure and simple. Naturally, the best. You can try me by calling 1-800-922-6227. Mount Shasta Spring Water. Alan Gordon, Coach Master Collision. Although Coach Master is recognized as the authority and specialist in frame and suspension, we are primarily your auto body and truck collision repair center. This includes all vehicles, Lexus, Honda, or pickup trucks. Our technicians are highly trained and have the most advanced equipment to ensure a complete and quality repair. With our knowledge and the insurance claim process, all we need is your claim number to handle your claim. Coachmaster has a great working relationship with all insurance companies. This ensures a complete repair with quality parts and a delay-free process. At Coachmaster, in our 50 years in business, we've experienced almost every situation imaginable in a claim. This experience and personal dedication to the repair of your vehicle sets Coachmaster apart from all other choices. And yes, if we can't fix it, no one can. Learn more online at CoachmasterAutoBody.com. Some things in life you can just rely on, like the comfy fit of a favorite pair of jeans and the tried and true performance of a new home comfort system from Rude. So here's to reliability, built into everything we do. Rely on Rude. Get reliable comfort when the weather turns cold with a new heating system installed by the local pros at Alliance Heating and Air. Call Alliance Heating and Air today at 530-221-2642. We are updating our equipment here at KCNR. If you hear a little static or perhaps some silence, we appreciate your patience as we address those issues. The value of banking local comes in being able to walk into the lobby, see the president, and be called by your first name, knowing that lending decisions are made locally by people you call neighbor or serve alongside when supporting a worthy cause. There's confidence in knowing that when you place your trust in Cornerstone Community Bank, you not only help yourself, you support the town you call home. Stop by one of our Reading or Red Bluff branches or visit us online at bankcornerstone.com. Cornerstone Community Bank, we invite you to experience how we are moving local dreams forward. The average adult has issued 32 troopers that with proper care and just a little discipline should serve you well during your entire tour of duty on this planet. They're called your teeth. But when your platoon gets out of line, holes in the formation, or other problems, you need to call in an expert like General, uh, Dr. William Farrell. With decades of experience keeping those troops in line and executing their assigned duties properly and dependently. If you'd rather not be there while he reestablishes order amongst the troops, Dr. Farrell offers sedation dinner. He and his highly trained staff will whip your troops into shape without any discomfort. And having served himself in both the Navy and the Marine Corps, Dr. Farrell offers special consideration to veterans. Let him take the best care of your platoon of teeth, and they will serve you always. Call 547-5757 or visit palosidrodentistry.com. At ease. And for a limited time, Dr. Farrell is offering x-ray, exam, and cleaning for 